0: Hello there and welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a contemporary look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. This This is episode episode 46 of Rebellion Rebellion Dogs Radio. Founders, followers, and flounders, the transition in stewardship in AA. You know, pioneers think differently than adherents do, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about cultural determinism and cultural imposition. What style suits AA Better, or any 12-step organization for that matter? Our Great Responsibility is the title of a brand new book, which is a collection of uh, Bill Wilson talks uh, given at the General Service Conference. Notes about each of these talks are in the final reports, but this is word-for-word transcription from his actual talk, which really gives it great context. Anyway, figure will be done in an hour or less. That's my aim. And uh, if we have time, we'll look at the new uh, 2019 uh, stats for members and groups in AA and uh, muse about uh, what that means. So... We've brought to light some interesting recovering ideas along with uh, challenges and turmoils facing Alcoholics Anonymous in particular. Uh, of course, we have an interest in the broader recovery community, but um, you know, in terms of 12-step life, that's where it all started. There are uh, divergent factions in AA, each of whom feel that their view of AA is the best for AA. And those others, they're close-minded, and they're dangerous to the newcomer and the future of AA. I've said it myself, so, (laughs) Uh, you know, I, I own that. Today, we ask if our more liberal and conservative extremes, each eyeing the other with suspicion, instead of being harmful for AA, maybe they nourish AA. Body temperature requires homeostasis mechanisms to maintain balance when we get cold or warm. Let's see if the 12-step, 12-tradition societies suffer from or thrive on uh, equal and opposite uh, forces. Another June wrapped up, another Founders' Day over, June 10th earmarked the symbolic day where Bill Wilson helped Dr. Bob get sober and in so do- doing saved Bill Wilson from his craving to drink. That infamous June 35 meeting was 84 years ago now. We enter our 85th year of Alcoholics Anonymous. It'll cap off in the Motor City in Detroit. Every five years we gather for uh, on the zeros and the fives, A little self-congratulatory gathering. I expect to be there. Hope to see you there. We'll look back. Uh, We call the pioneers of AA founders. Dead now. We tip our hats to these people because their leadership was obviously effective. The fellowship they left behind remains today. Bill Wilson, in a self-effacing way, referred to himself in public appearances as a co-flounderer this dismissive language got last but also fended off efforts by others to uh, put them on a pedestal. When I was a small business person, mentors said to me, you know, Joe, the quality of your leadership can be best measured by how well your business runs when you're not there, when you're not there to oversee everything. That sounds smart and snappy. If it's true, Bob and Bill are gone, and we can look uh, back at their roles as leaders or founders. Stewardship of AA is forevermore in the hands of AA followers, not founders. Googling pioneers. Googling followers. Well, we're going to find they have different personality traits. How does the AA leadership of our followers differ from the days when Big Trouble was brought to the attention of solely AA pioneers. AA's cultural makeup matured from two to three fledgling groups to a few more groups with pamphlets and a book. Rules were added. Most of these rules were revoked. Traditions later protected members and groups from rules and from subordination. The style that founders left the fellowship to us is called cultural determinism. It's, it's unique in structures. There's a tendency in societies, especially as they age, uh, to crave cultural imposition, like a central authority. We'll look at the differences, their uh, relative merits, and ponder what may serve AA best uh, on a go-forward basis. Keep in mind Is our role as stewards to preserve AA exactly as it was way back when, or is our duty to prepare AA for the newcomer still to come? Are these approaches oppositional, cultural determinism and cultural imposition? Or does this yin versus yang fight create homeostasis or an equilibrium that makes us even stronger? Dr. Bob was dying of cancer uh, before succumbing to his illness in 1950. Bob and Bill talked about turning AA over to the members. What would that look like? Jimmy B. was an early AA archivist and history speaker. Uh, Long after uh, Bob died, uh, Jimmy and Bill often talked. They talked about the spirit of rotation, about how Really, leadership should be left to the people two to five years sober. Here's a bit of a letter. Bill Wilson was responding to Rosa and Jimmy B. They lived in San Diego at the time. It was August twenty third, 1949. What you say is not surprising for we old-timers. Nearly all of us are getting frightfully stale. I know that's very true of me. I've worked far too long in the trouble department of AA. Anybody who does enough of this is finally going to go sour or crack up entirely. It's so everywhere. The old-timer situation is getting to be a bit of a problem. In a sense, it means we have to start over again and get back to first principles. I'm glad to see at the group and intergroup levels that our service affairs are in the hands of two to five-year-old people. Moreover, these folks were not so badly burned as us oldsters. As a class, they're not so screwy. That was early talk of the Spirit of Rotation. There are uh, pamphlets, great fine articles, 12 tradition essays in the back of the 12 and 12 that talk about, uh, you know, the sort of traditions and culture developing. And I talk about all this and I wonder if you're waiting for a but. (laughs) A leaderless society is not without risks. Pioneers have a higher risk tolerance than their followers. Vision is the key motivator for pioneers. Fear, fear of change, as an example, is a key motivator for followers. Innovators, certainly AA founders, are not proprietary imitations and adapters don't threaten or offend leaders. Here's uh, just an example. The first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous was a big... Red Book. Another visionary and writer, Ed W., wrote The Little Red Book, a study guide to the Big Book. There was no conference to approve or disapprove such initiatives when The Little Red Book came out. There was the idea of group conscience, but it hadn't sort of developed into traditions or concepts of world service. The Little Red Book uh, was still shared around by some members when I came around in the 70s. I hear it quoted less and less now but it's still popular in some circles. Hazelden publishes it now. It's in fact grown into a franchise. There's a, a Bill P who wrote a study guide to that study guide in 1998 updating it I guess. Karen Casey and another Bill W in 2004 wrote The Little Red Book for Women. How were such things handled? And what was felt about these unsanctioned side projects by the stakeholders, the royalty recipients to the big book, which were Bob and Bill? Uh, Well, here's what Bill wrote in 1946. Everybody who's read it seems to like it very much, which of course is to be expected. Here's what Dr. Bob wrote. I've enjoyed your book very much, and know that it'll prove to be a lot of help to many. See, pioneers for the most part welcome more pioneering. While followers might be more inclined to reify work, canonize founders, dismiss new approaches, founders are hungry for better outcome rates and better ways of doing things. The importance of the cause is way more important than getting credit when it comes to innovators. Ed had identified a need whereby some might want a more cohesive step-by-step narrative, and Bill liked the idea. He showed no inclination to suppress Ed's efforts. Bob and Bill never said, nice book, but don't call it AA, or there's no place for that in an AA meeting. Written accounts reveal Bill Wilson. He had concerns about the suffering alcoholic that AA was failing to meet, so why wouldn't he like these new efforts. Bill might even have been inspired by Ed because in 1953 of course he wrote 12 Steps and 12 Traditions which he was really pushing the traditions but he decided to write essays about the 12 steps in the front of the book, a book on traditions we can look back now and say wouldn't have been a bestseller. I mean, when's the last tradition meeting you went to? Anybody out there last month? I haven't. (laughs) I like them. I just haven't been to one this month or maybe this year. Now, this idea of turning any fellowship over to its members is a visionary's idea, that's for sure. Is it the right thing to do? and what are the shortcomings of such a plan that we have to look out for? Let's go back to the business comparison. The head of a capitalist concern doesn't turn the power over to the employees. Instead, leaders find another visionary to take over the reins. The new visionary doesn't follow the first leader's rule book, they forge a new path. Over years and decades, A company is led by a succession of visionaries. The rank-and-file employees make slight adjustments to each new leader as she or he adapts, anticipates, and bends to a changing marketplace. What if Henry Ford turned his car company over to the employees? Ford may have been honored for his nonconformity, maybe even canonized. The date he first combined automobile assembly with an assembly line while that date might be celebrated the anniversary every year, maybe every five years. And with the employees clearly in charge, these followers might have a tendency towards preservation more than innovation and Ford Motor Company might still be exclusively making and selling the Model T. Don't fix it if it ain't broke, the Ford Group Think of Today would assert. We're going to preserve the legacy of Ford, whose work was inspired by the hand of God. Followers don't have vision, not to the extent that pioneers do. Pioneers aim is for a moving target. Followers see a still image. This is some of what causes organizational reification. Bill W. would continue asking, how can we alter or improve? We who followed cast his message into an endearing and unyielding monument. So, 1953, Bob S. has died. And this is year three of the General Service Conference. The fellowship is indeed in the hands of the next generation. Bill Wilson is on hand when called upon at the conference, but the voting delegates, trustees, and staff will carry the day for any decision making. AA was at the time, 1953, 6,000 groups and there was 128,000 members worldwide, which was twice the members and three times the groups from five years previous. So uh, with growth comes promise, along with uh, (laughs) alarm and growing pains. To the 75 delegates from Canada and the U.S., Bill opened the third General Service Conference with, we are standing at the threshold of maturity. No one can say in truth that we are really mature yet. This process of maturing will go on as long as we last. There were 40 new suggestions at uh, the third General Service Conference. The 12 steps and 12 traditions were hot off the press. Conference attendees had business to deal with, including new trustees, grapevine, other literature, and financial issues. One of two hot topics that Bill was asked to weigh in on included race and uh, variations of the steps and traditions. We've talked about this a bit in the past, but to get anyone else up to speed, AA members uh, weren't adhering to the 12 steps exactly as written. Some Swedish groups had seven groups. People who sailed the seven seas on merchant ships used a six-step program. Some of them did anyway. Buddhists replaced the word God with good because it uh, sort of suited their needs a little better. The followers, now in charge of AA, were concerned. What was AA to do? How were we to deal with these nonconformists? Bill was asked to speak. A summary of Bill's impromptu comments was recorded in the conference highlights special report to groups for the Third General Service Conference of AA. You might have seen it already. There's a copy at Rebellion Dogs Publishing. You can read the whole thing. It's kind of interesting to see what was on their minds way back when. But now there's a new book out. It's called Our Great Responsibility, Rediscovering Wisdom from AA's Co-Founder and it's a bunch of Bill's talks at the General Service Conference from 1950 to 1970. And here, according to the transcript, is exactly what Bill Wilson had to say about uh, the uh, variations of 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. In fact, I think I've got six bullet points or comments, just sort of little little chunks of what was said. If you get the book, of course, read the whole thing. I couldn't uh, recommend it more. So before the traditions, he said, a lot of membership rules that the groups had was to force conformity to those 12 steps. In other words, it would be rules like this. To be an AA member, you must have done all the 12 steps, or you must agree with the 12 steps. Well, of course, long experience now tells us there shouldn't be any musts in AA. In fact, Happily, the original suggestion was a suggestion only, 12 suggested steps. So today we say, the sum of our experience is the more you do these, the better off you're going to be. But folks, it's minced, apple, or plum. It's up to you, really. I think Bill really had a pie and ice cream thing. (laughs) It amazes me how in distant lands, the same pioneering story is being reenacted. Some years ago, the 12 steps came to the attention of a Swede. He takes a look at the program and thinks that they don't need to be 12 steps. His idea was seven. So in Sweden today, they have seven steps. Do you think we should write these Swedes and uh, say that you can't belong to Alcoholics Anonymous unless you print those 12 steps the way we got them? No. They are merely going through the old pioneering process that we went through. Uh, Number three, uh, there is one of these traditions that really guarantees every AA group the absolute right to violate all of them if they wish to. We say here each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole, and you must remember that these are suggested traditions. When we say each group is autonomous, that means in effect that It has a right to be wrong from the viewpoint of the rest of us. My feeling is that the more we insist on strict conformity to the steps and traditions, the more resistance against them we will create. And finally, and if improvements are to come, who knows? We may get them from anyone. This wasn't the only controversy Bill was asked to weigh in on. On interracial AA, the sole question is this, how can each locality, from the point of view of its own customs, afford a better opportunity for the colored people to get well? The big thing each of us needs to remember concerning this phase of our program is the respect that one section of AA ought to accord to others in the view that they hold locally. It's the 1950s. AA culture isn't any different than the rest of North America. Discussion on race in AA ranged from excitement in DC over the success of their colored group, their language, not mine. One Southern delegate said that the colored people in his state weren't alcoholics and the topic shouldn't be on the agenda. In the Midwest, a delegate referred to the Chippewa and Indians, suggesting they aren't typical alcoholics. There is much of our past and present that calls for inventory and reconciliation uh, inside our own society. Revisiting this 1953 conference reveals hostility or worry deeply felt by AA followers, They showed concern or disdain for the uh, adaptation of AA, even though it was by their fellow AA members making these changes. What is widening the gateway to one is a chaotic existential threat to another. Yes, there is a difference between innovators. Yes, there is a difference between innovators and adherents. Bill W. wasn't blind to this, and he adapted AA to this reality as a guard against censorship or banning individualism. Traditions protect members and groups from rules. We members point fingers at those others who violate the traditions, and that one. (laughs) The traditions aren't rules. They're a collection of our collective experience. They're designed to guide members, not bind us. Furthermore, Bill reinforced every member's right in the 12 concepts of uh, World Service. Extraordinary liberties. No conformity to AA principles. No member to ever be expelled. Each group to conduct its internal affairs as it wishes. It being merely asked to abstain from acts that might injure AA as a whole. And anyone can form an AA group, so long as they have no other purpose or affiliation. Have you ever seen a celebrity speak directly or indirectly about their 12-step membership publicly? Were they excommunicated from their home group, do you think? Of course not. They might take some crap from fellow members, but their seat is still waiting for them at the home group. If they go to their business meeting, they still have one vote like any other member. And because this is cultural determinism, and how does it vary from cultural imposition? So let's take this rock star who talks about working his 12-step program on a late night uh, show. That's cultural determinism. The AA group he belongs to might have its own rules, and anonymity might be one of them. He ignores the rule. Traditions and warranties make room for different applications of AA coexisting in the same AA. Live and let live is cultural determinism. Each group being a unique culture that is shaped primarily by the ideas and values of their members, defines its primary purpose. And each member can reject what they like or embrace what they like. Central offices can and have rallied to oust bad apple groups in the name of AA purity, but that comes with unintended consequences. Generally, the ousted group is reinstated, if they want to be, and sometimes the hostilities towards the group actually attracts positive attention to the group. After all, we are all a band of rebels. Cultural imposition Setting rules or governing groups rarely lasts. And AA tends to uh, self-correct back to our cultural determinism. Yes, groups are asked to be considerate of neighboring groups, and $16 word AA as a whole. But even if you or I worry that our neighboring groups are overly liberal or overly conservative, and they will be the ruin of AA, we... uh, We live and let live. In '53, we see Bill engaged at the conference with delegates with the question whether we're going to get into the business of insisting on conformity, whether we're going to get into the business of creating an authority. By design, so far anyway, uh, AA has no mechanism for excommunicating groups or members, for being unpopular, or for not being compliant. So everything should be good between our AA groups, right? We all have the autonomy we want. Why would we care what others are doing in other groups right over there? The uh, Spring 2019 Box 459, you can get a link to it at Rebellion Dogs Publishing, reveals that today we see these nineteen thirty. 53-esque squabbles continue. In one case, a local backlash was directed at a group who voted 40 yes out of 40 members to end their Lord's Prayer closing ritual. Other local groups, feeling that they had AA tradition on their side, told the other home group to get out of AA if they don't like God. Rescinding group autonomy, intimidation, the tyranny of the majority, these are the expressions of cultural imposition. Racism, sexism, other discrimination, exploitation, and abuse happens in AA, all ranging on the AA badometer meter from microaggressions, it might be 2 or 4 out of 10, right up to harassment and discrimination, which might be a 7 or 9 out of 10 on the, on the AA battle meter range. AA groups are informed by, and a reflection of, the community just outside that meeting door. Here's an example of underrepresented populations in AA suffering the same systemic discrimination we hear about throughout all of society. This is a quote right out of the spring 2019 Box 459 in a discussion about inclusivity. Garrett closed by saying that serious problems remained, however, and while he believed that AA was capable of becoming more welcoming, it has not yet happened. Fast forward to 2019, and there have only been eight black trustees in AA's. 80-year history. And though the number of black delegates in the General Service Conference has been increasing, many African Americans, among other groups, can still feel excluded or set apart in AA. While it may seem an intractable challenge that has remained with AA for its entire lifespan, there are if not solutions, steps that can be taken to ensure that the hand of AA continues reaching out to anyone, anywhere. So that was today. We (laughs) looked at 1953, and uh, not much has changed. The General Service Office doesn't have the power to impose rules, nor does it have the will or wish to mediate local squirmishes. Bill's idea of an egalitarian AA was, as we see it today, not a list of rules that all groups followed. Rather, there's 120,000 sets of meeting rules because there are currently 120,000 home groups, each group following its own set of rules. They might look very similar, they might look very different, but other groups don't decide hey, you're not doing it our way. Bill Wilson wasn't exactly phased by the tendency towards reification. Uh, If you've read uh, Not God, A History of Alcoholics Anonymous by Ernie Kurtz, you might recall this excerpt from a 1961 Bill letter that he was writing back to a member. As time passes, our book literature has a tendency for conversion into something like dogma, a human trait I'm afraid we can do little about. We may as well face the fact that AA will always have its traditionalists, its fundamentalists, and its relativists. Is AA held back by a constant uh, struggle of these factions? It's possible to me that while counterintuitive, AA's polarity, the sort of pulling from each of these groups, might actually hold us together and serve our long-term prospects well. Uh, Let's talk about homeostasis. More AA yin begets more AA yang. If you look in Wikipedia from the East, it describes the strength and harmony that opposition fosters in the Chinese philosophical idea of yin and yang, which is a concept of dualism in ancient Chinese philosophy describing how seemingly opposite or contradictory forces may actually be complementary, interconnected, and interdependent in the natural world, and how they may give rise to each other as they interrelate to one another. Well, AA is part of the natural world. Maybe that applies to us. And homostasis uh, is, I guess, a Western idea, or at least we have a record of it going back to 1865 in France. Dictionary.com describes the tendency of a system, especially the physiological system of higher animals, to maintain internal stability owing to the coordinated response of its parts to any situation or stimulus that would tend to disturb its normal condition or function. Of course, I'm talking about the human body and making a metaphor for AA. I might be bending uh, physiological or Chinese philosophical words to make a point, but, well, you tell me if it's valid. So Bill said we got to face the facts. There's always going to be traditionalists, fundamentalists, relativists. Fundamentalists feel that AA, or in some cases their brand of AA, is the only winning formula in the fight against alcoholism. Traditionalists may take chapter and verse from the book Alcoholics Anonymous literally, and see the purpose of AA as following the big book, as an instruction manual, exactly as written. Relativists say this kind of dogma is a turnoff to forward thinking newcomers. We'd be more effective if we were flexible in our practices, maybe in our wording too. In homeostasis, Our outer body temperature gets too cold and we shiver to warm up. When we have a fever, we sweat to cool off. It could be that more back-to-basics AA inspires the forming of more free thinkers, secular AA groups, and vice versa. We maintain internal stability owing to the coordinated response of AA's parts. So when one stimuli disturbs another and uh, more groups are formed. Take what you like and leave the rest is the relativist way. Here's just a, a few possible approaches that AA meetings could make. An LGBTIQQ2 spirit plus group or a conference or any AA gathering They could adapt the AA, where it says God as we understand him, replacing him with a non-binary, genderless higher power. A mostly Islamic AA group might prefer Allah. Goddess could be used in place of him in a woman's group. One atheist agnostic group never reads or posts any AA steps. It's all superstitious woo-woo. And... Right down the street, an atheist agnostic group rewrites and reads their own secular version of the AA steps. AA relativists are protected by uh, cultural determination. Now, these possible adaptations I've talked about could have been inspired by more fundamentalist factions uh, beating the drum about AA has to be exactly as written in the big book. So yin begets yang. Of course, many special purpose groups that make safe spaces for a specific demographic by gender, sexual orientation, age, minority religion, no religion at all, they may read the steps exactly as written. Why couldn't they both be traditionalists and gateway wideners? This is cultural determination at work too. One group of underrepresented AAs doesn't have to do exactly the same as all of the other groups in that class does. One young people's group or secular group or one woman's group doesn't have to march in lockstep with each other. Some take a relativist approach. Some relativists like a traditional meeting format, and let the individuality express itself in the group discussion. One group may symbolize their identity by customizing AA language to better include themselves, but for some special purpose group, 1939 language has no oppressive power over them. Changing the words to a new, just as codified wording isn't a meaningful way of asserting their AA freedoms. Uh, All of that hullabaloo about the steps, Uh, here is uh, what those uh, Swedish uh, 7 steps were, are, maybe some of these groups still meet today. Here's their steps, 1 through 7. You must admit that you are an alcoholic. 2. You must believe in a power which is greater than your own. 3. You must change your outlook on life. 4 undertake a thorough investigation of your moral concepts. 5. Discuss those affairs of yours which are unsatisfactory and acknowledge your faults and shortcomings with another person. 6. Settle issues with all persons with whom you have unsatisfactory relations. I like that. And 7. When you've come away from the alcohol and you have If you work on following these points, then you have experienced something which you cannot thank any individual human being for. You must express your thanks through helping other alcoholics, and that's the only thing we demand of you. Okay, a lot of musts, but again, I don't know how clearly and cleanly it was uh, translated from Swedish to English. And this was 1950s Sweden too, so who knows what they're doing there now. If you think those Swedish seven steps are a bastardization of AA, maybe you're a traditionalist. If you're at that conference and listen to that disturbed, go to your business meeting and bring the motion that we only read from conference-approved literature to avoid this kind of liberalism that might reshape AA. So, out there in AA there are 10-step groups, secular groups, no-step groups, we've got back-to-basics groups that feel that the big book is AA's only legitimate message, and other back-to-basics groups that read the Wally P. Guide to Alcoholics Anonymous. We have groups for atheists that consider themselves spiritual and groups of atheists that will tell you that AA is practical, not supernatural. We have groups that don't pray and are more religious, spiritual, not religious groups that pray at the start, middle, and end of every meeting. So even inside the traditionalist, fundamentalist, and relativist tribes, yin voices pull the chains of yang, resentment, resentment, and coffee pot equal new AA meetings. Divergent forces aid the growth and diversity of AA as a whole. Thinking about yin and yang or homeostasis, or as Newton would say, uh, for each action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, the third law of motion. When we think about it through this uh, lens, let's play a little mental game here and see if these situations came up, what we think the actual outcome would be. A traditionalist group says to adaptive groups, if you don't like AA the way it is, why don't you start your own fellowship? A secular AA group badmouths the big book fundamentalist group. No one wants your misogynist, patriarchal, homonormative, religious, outdated literature. Your why AA stopped growing. Subcultures petition that only the AA literature that speaks to them be kept and the other literature preferred by others be discontinued. Rewrite the big book and discontinue the current version. Discontinue printing the watered down AA Living Sober or eliminate about alcoholism from the grapevine. Each intolerant voice of AA is saying, That's the one. That's the cancer over there that's ruining AA for all of us. Will their outbursts gain the intended result? So, how much gay pride is born from homophobia? In AA, be it faction versus faction or infighting within each faction, attempts to assert our will over the larger group may mobilize an opposite force to maintain internal stability owing to the coordinated response to its parts to any situation or stimulus that would tend to disturb its normal condition or function, the homeostasis definition. Even within subcultures, a singleness of purpose, police don't all agree on what the purpose is or how to achieve it. Will all freethinkers, atheists, humanists, agnostics at all agree on what secular AA means? Write it down. See what the person beside you wrote. Some see a broader highway, some want to keep it pure. What does the average, my name is Joe, rank and file AA member, really know about these extraordinary membership rights? as asserted in uh, Warranty 6 of uh, Concept 12. When I was new, I assumed there must be a list of what is sacred and what is forbidden in AA. I saw similarities in the first 20 to 50 meetings I attended, so I assumed that they were following a list of rules, that although I hadn't seen these rules, others had read them and agreed to what we should and should not do, and they were following them. I heard people say in AA things like, in AA we always blank, or in AA we never blank. Did I challenge these members? Did I ask for evidence? No. I assumed they knew what was right. Rules in AA seemed intuitive to me when I was new. I assumed it was like school or government or any other structure. It seems counterintuitive that AA could run without any uh, rules or penalties for failure to comply with said rules. I think that most members, even those starting their first meetings, haven't even read the AA service manual combined with 12 concepts of World Service cover to cover. For starters, reading the service manual isn't a rule. Naturally, there is tribalism within AA. Is that bad? Do you say your group is the best group in the city? Go ahead, be proud. That's cultural determinism working. But anytime you or I want to petition for more of our kind of AA and less of those stubborn and delusional AAs over there, we might not get what we bargained for. So the 2019 group and membership uh, numbers are posted. Oh, you're all dying to hear this, I know. We have 2,130,419 AA members that attend 125,352 groups. 1.362 million of those members are in the U.S., 85,000 of them are in Canada, and outside Canada and the U.S. there's another 643,000 groups. That doesn't equal 2.13 million, but there's also uh, groups in correction facilities and loaners and international members as well. So that is meaningless unless we take a look at a little context. So let's compare that with 2,000 about 20 years ago, we had about the same number of members. Now, in 2000, America's population was uh, 282.2 million, and now it's 327.2 million. So it's grown 16%. And we actually had more members. We had... Uh, 2,159,000 members in 2000, and we had two million one hundred and thirty members uh, this year. But the remarkable thing is how many more groups we have and how that's changed. Like in the U.S., for instance, there were 51,735 groups in 2000, and now there are 66,345. So we've added 15,000 groups with no appreciable uh, growth in members. In Canada, there was 5,104, and now there are 5,091. So that's pretty stable. But our membership numbers have dropped. There were 98,816 AAs. A. (laughs) And now in Canada, there are 84 Thousand eight hundred ninety-one AA members. A so uh, what's that? Uh, that's almost a fifteen percent drop in membership. And outside of the USA, also falling. In two thousand, there were eight hundred thirty-three thousand non-Canada U.S. members, and now there are six hundred and forty-three thousand. Quite a difference. But even in those international groups. They've gone from 41,000 meetings to 52,000 meetings. So uh, all this talk about divergent forces, I think, as we've discussed before, it leads to more meetings that meet the needs of a particular demographic. That's great. I don't know what it says about our future or our stability or our health. Maybe you can weigh in on that. So we always like to close with a song. And just with the theme of this, in AA you can do no wrong. Start a group and uh, feet will tell you whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. People will come or people will go. So you can do no wrong. This is a song by the Fast Romantics. It's called Do No Wrong. You can find a link uh, to their music. Maybe even you might want to buy some. Thanks for hanging out a bit. I really would love you to uh, sort of uh, weigh in. A conversation isn't one person talking. So, fast romantics. Do no wrong. (laughs)